Welcome back, GPS to God. We have a good one. We have a lot of good ones, but this is another good one. Daniel Sanders, Miss Jennifer Kuffman is back with us. Welcome back. Thank you. Again. Glad she, to be back. She's just the host now, so no, 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 get no, no. used to her. No. Andrew Phillips, welcome back again. Absolutely glad to be here. And we do have a rookie with us, but he is he's bringing the good stuff. Mr. Sean Tomzak, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me here. We are very blessed to have you here. If you want to send Sean some fan mail after this episode, gps guidecom is the website, but you can email him, mailroom at gps guidecom Send him a message on the website, too. We'll get it all to him. You're going to want to send him some after this, but Sean has done a lot of cool stuff, and let's just hop right in because, I mean, every little kid, a boy at least, I think, wants to be a rock star at some mm. point in their life. Mm-hmm. That's true. Sean has been a rock star. I mean... We're going to call him that. He may not, but we, we know the truth. But Sean was in a band called Sidewalk Prophets, lead guitar player. I mean, that's like the pivotal role, right? That's, it's, a big, it's a big deal. That's a big I mean, deal. Andrew's a guitar player, too. I, I so. can appreciate it. Huh? Yeah. How did you come to be in Sidewalk Prophets? Did you always want to? When did you start playing an instrument? Let's start there. Yeah, I started playing guitar when I was 15, and as a lot of 15-year-old boys making decisions on playing guitar. It was because the girl that I was dating at the time, her brother played guitar. And I was like, <laughs> well, that looks cool. Maybe I can get some points with her, whatever that looked like. So I started playing guitar. And then uh, when I was 21, I moved out to Los Angeles, went to a music school out there. To where'd, keep, you, where'd you move from? From just outside of Detroit, Michigan. So lots of music stuff going on there, but it wasn't a ton of what I was going for at the moment. So I went to music school out in Los Angeles, uh, met my wife out there at the church we were going to. And so we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do, but it didn't feel like Los Angeles was where we wanted to start our family. So we, we started kicking around ideas of where we wanted to try to go. And because music was such a big thing for me, her sister already lived here. And so we, uh, we were like, let's try Nashville, see what that looks like. So we were here for about a year and then I met the guys in Sidewalk Profits, and so from there, audition, did that whole thing, and started playing with them. What what year was this? This was two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how long had the Sidewalk? When did Sidewalk Profits start? Do you know? That's a great question. I want to say it was early two thousands, like two thousand one, two thousand two ish, and they started the band at Anderson University, or yeah, Anderson University in Indiana. Okay. Yep. Okay, so you said you met the guys from Sidewalk Profits mm-hmm. after moving here. Okay, yep. I've lived here my whole life, and yeah. I've never just met anybody that is special or important or anything <laughs> like that. So how, how did that Andrew, come about? Andrew, I think we okay. might feel a little hurt yeah, right no, here. Y'all, yeah, no, y'all, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You just don't, you don't meet that level. Don't yeah. meet that criteria. Get tossed out to the side. Mm. Yes, yes. So how did that happen? How yeah. do you just meet guys from a band? Stalking. Heavy stalking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were going to a church that met at Rocket Town downtown. Yeah. It's called Midtown. And I just got connected with the music guys in there. And there's a guy that played bass that he worked at Word Records, which mm-hmm. was at the time the Warner Brothers subsidiary, which is the, the label that the band was tied to. And so whenever he would hear about a band looking for a guitar player, he would give them my contact information. And so it just so happened that that was one. They were getting ready to do the Winter Jam tour. Yes. And so we, I connected with them probably October or November of 2009. And then January 2nd or 3rd, we were at the arena in Chattanooga seeing the Newsboys sound check with Michael Tate as the singer. And <laughs> uh, which at the time, I did not grow up a huge Christian music fan. And so I knew a few artists, but I actually guiltily did not know that that was, that, that was the Newsboys that was sound checking at the moment uh-huh. and I looked over to one of the guys and I was like which band is that that's sound checking and he looked at me like I <laughs> did not know a thing <laughs> in life like, so you haven't bumped into anybody so I'm, no no way. and I hear stories about oh I saw Kelly Clarkson at Target yeah. or you know I saw uh, Rico met Garth Brooks at the gas station I don't yeah. know like all these people never not one single person born and raised my entire life wow hmm. yeah uh, Lord, the Lord has different plans for me. Absolutely. And it's not to know famous people. I guess not. No. Garth Brooks text about this podcast. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like contacted you? 
I didn't say he texted me. Oh, he has oh. texted about this podcast. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, pretty cool. okay. Yeah. He he lives not far yes. from here. Yeah, like so, just yeah. down the road. Mr. Norman Polly is a a guy we all know. He's a very great guy. He's in his mid eighties and still works every day. Well, works three days a week at Chick Fil A. Yeah, Chick Fil A famous. He and Garth Brooks are friends. They met at Chick Fil A. Super cool. And they are friends. And Norman sent him a text. He's like, "Hey, you want to come on the podcast?" He, Garth Brooks said, "I appreciate it, but no, thank you." So see, respectfully yeah. declined. Yeah. But Garth Brooks is talking about us. All right, hey, we'll take that. That's good. He doesn't know it, but we know. It. <laughs> we know. That's yeah. all that matters. Yeah, I would. I would guess if you're running. If you're in band life or music life, that's a better way to say it. Mm. Like you're going to run into more musicians than we that's would. True. Good point. You know. Excellent point. You probably run into people in the circles you run in that well, Sean wouldn't run into. Like, that's how did true. you meet them? You know, all those <laughs> stay at home moms. Yeah. You just you run into all of them. <laughs> so, what was maybe the coolest thing about being, I mean, because you guys are toured, I mean, you're going on these big tours and stuff. So, what's. I mean, what's a cool story? We we all want to know the cool, like what's a cool part, and then we're going to get into like what's a stressful part that people wouldn't think mm-hmm. about. Yeah, a cool story. Uh, okay, so this is one. I don't know why this is one that jumps in my brain, but this is the one that jumps in my brain right now. So we were at the airport. We were headed out to where were we going? Ultimately, we were headed to South Dakota, but our bus was going to South Dakota, and we were making a stop. I want to say it was in Ohio. We were flying to Ohio and then to South Dakota to play this festival. And our bus is headed to South Dakota. We're at the airport, and I see one of the guys that's in the band, Mercy Me. And he's a friend of ours because we were on the road with him and everything like that. So we're talking, and I find out they're going to South Dakota to go to the same festival that we're going to. And so he he and I get to, get to talking and, and whatnot, and then he goes off to his flight. We go to our flight. So I land and I've got calls from the other guitar player in Mercy Me and he's calling me because their family was about to adopt a new a, a child and they had been waiting and it came to that weekend was the weekend that they found out that they were going to be able to adopt a child. And so he was calling me because he knew I was going to be at that festival and was asking could I fill in for him? So we had about I had about 24 hours to learn their entire set. Wow. <laughs> Needless to say, I did not learn their entire set, but it hopefully appeared as if I knew their <laughs> yeah. entire set. Absolutely. When I was on stage. That's uh, awesome. And so I was up there and, and got to play with those guys, and that was a pretty cool wow. experience. We were at a festival called Hills Alive in South Dakota, which is usually like maybe 15,000 people, something like that. And it was a pretty cool experience. That is cool. I mean, that's the wow. that's fun. How many? Yeah. That's a that's a unique experience being in front of that many people. Um, most people don't have that. I mean, you might mm. be at a sporting event where you're part of the crowd, but it's different when you're down on the floor looking up. Everybody's kind of looking at you. That's cool. Yeah, that's a whole nother level of talent too. I mean, like that's impressive. That's very impressive. Twenty four hours. Well, and I felt good about eighty percent of the show, mm. but afterwards, their guy that that ran sound. He came up to me and he was like, "You did a pretty good job. It's a tough <laughs> set." And I was like, "I, I don't know. If, does that mean I did good or I didn't do good? I'm not quite sure." But so on something like that, you don't have music in front of you. You just have to play, right? Yeah, I did. You wouldn't. Most people wouldn't have realized that I had charts that were taped to the ground in front of me, so I could at least cheat a little bit. Mm. But yeah, I was just the the most difficult part of it was. I had the one guitar player was telling me, learn everything from the album. And the other guitar player that I was filling in for was like, just listen to my board mix and hear what I'm playing and then just play what I'm playing. And so I'm like, okay, surely these things are the same. They were not the same at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, for any musicians out there, you're like, oh, yeah, do you, which, which am I going to do? I don't know. We'll find out. I'm just going to play and hope I play the right chords and the right notes. And nobody draws any attention to me. So Andrew is our yeah. resident guitar guy. Yeah. I mean, how tough is that? That's really tough. Well, so like I would imagine, which I'm, I consider myself an average guitar player. I consider him way above well, average. I, yeah. I, pre- I appreciate that. I mean, I would throw great out there. He might not say I great. I definitely but, wouldn't call myself but, that. But uh, so very, very good. 
so for me, like I know that like I have like fallback lines that I like to fall into and like fallback patterns um, because I'm just assuming based off of ability, you probably use numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So like for me, like that's when like the light bulb like switched on, um, especially from like a lead perspective, because like once I started to learn the number system, I started to see the patterns and I always liked math. So it was just like a perfect fit like that when that moment happened. And so like I always have like fallbacks that I would go into. So I think the biggest challenge would be trying to play like someone else because I would have like a much easier time if you said, OK, we're going to play like these 10 songs and I was just going to go and play them how I would play them. Like I could probably do that in 24 hours. But to play someone else's patterns, like I just don't know. Like I think I'd need a, a ton more time and I wouldn't feel good about it. Um, and, and, and beyond that, just even even the sounds like, you know, I would imagine like they because they've got a sound not the same as yours, you know, like you guys have created a sound and you've got, you've got patches and you've got your pedals that you've programmed. So like, if you were going to take all of that and just try to play your way, I could see that being something you could do, but man, trying to, to fit into someone else's area that they've already created their own sound. Like I just don't, I'll be honest. I just don't know how in the world you could do it. It's very, it's very difficult. Like I would say a high level difficulty and just a lot of pressure because everyone else in the band knows what they're doing. Like, they're tight. They've been playing for a long time. Like, to just insert yourself into that, just crazy difficult. Yeah, that's, I mean, the audience is not going to know, right? But no. The, but the band, I mean, you're, you're... The band knows. You're playing for the audience, but you're playing for the band. Like, that's your teammates. Yep. What, so what is numbers? You said, I know, that was like a whole other language. I've heard it in Wednesday Night Rehearsal <laughs> before, but I, yeah. I was, what is it? I have no clue what that is. So that, that basically is just a different way of looking at the notes and the progression. So typically you see letters assigned for chord progressions. And then I don't know when numbers started. It was introduced to me, I don't know, probably 15 years ago. Um, and when it was, like, basically what they do is they assign whatever, whatever key that you're playing in becomes the number one. And then you start to move up the scale from there. And it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You still have sharps and flats. Um, but basically you are assigning a number pattern to your song and then whatever key you move into, it doesn't matter. That just becomes the one and you start the pattern all over again. And what happens is when you start to break down songs into a numeric pattern versus all these different letters, like it's just starts to become very clear. Oh, this is a repetitive pattern. Oh, I see this. Okay. That's the same bridge that we play in that song. It's just in a different key. And you just start to see these patterns all over again. And especially from like a lead perspective, like it just simplifies everything because now I'm looking for these patterns and this is going to be the lead pattern that I'm going to play. And if we change the key, okay, who cares? Like I'm playing this pattern, just where I play on the fretboard changes now. And so like I said, for me, that was just like a complete game changer. Like once I was able to see that, it becomes easier to memorize songs. Like when you're trying to memorize all these different letters and different keys, like it can be very difficult but I can learn a numeric pattern and then I can realize that it's the same pattern in this song. And then you find other ones and you're, and then it makes it even easier to learn that one. You're like, Oh, this is just like that one or this, Oh, this bridge is the same as that one. So you just find things that, that synchronize. And it, like I said, for me, it just, that's when like that light bulb came on and it became easy to learn songs, memorize them and, and just learn how to play different styles on the guitar. So, and you can echo yeah. and share other stuff yeah. as well. Not spot on. I first heard about it when I was in school in Los Angeles. There was a guy that was a country guitar player mm. that was there that he was he would teach country guitar. And that he was the one that introduced us to the because at the time, it, I mean, it's still kind of known as the Nashville number system. And part of that, I think, is because you go around to studios and stuff and you're sitting there and, and you need to know the chord progression, but the the singer may come in and say, well, I want to sing a step higher or whatever. And so then instead of rethinking, going from, okay, I was I was playing DGA, mm. and now I need to make sure I'm playing AEB or whatever that is, you know, and, and uh, that's not right. I totally it's did not right. say that right. <laughs> it's okay. It's Sounded okay. It came out, yeah. and I was like, those are totally not steps up. No, yeah. but You could have not said that. I would have no clue. But you yeah. proved your point. But that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. It's so you, much easier. Yeah, if you just say, you know, 415, okay, we're doing 415 and A, or 415 and G. It doesn't really matter because you just know that's that's sonically what it's going to sound like. And then your point about where, it, where it's at on the fretboard you just find, okay, I know that these patterns exist if I'm playing four, five, one or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And you just find it and go to work. 
like Jennifer said, real life example of yeah. simplifying right there. Mm. Okay, so I have a question because I'm listening to this like amazing musical knowledge and you've had all these awesome experiences because of your music, but you just chose to learn the guitar at 15. So did you have like a history of musical ability, interest, you know, lessons, middle school band, I don't know, anything? <laughs> I played the recorder in fourth or fifth oh, grade, yes. as so many of us Classic, did. Classic, yes. Just gateway right into uh -huh. all of the musical uh, musical things. I mean, boy brains at 15, are, they're working a little different anyway, you know. Yeah. Like, mm. He's chasing a girl. So I know, like, I know, but still, it's still, you know. Yeah, but we... Uh, I don't think we were a super musical family. We were a musical-ish family. My dad sang a ton. He sang, he's still, I mean, he's one of the loudest people singing in church. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, he sounds great. It's okay, not that singing he doesn't well sound, like, he in sings church, well, yes. But could have like, went either way. He could have gone either way. No, he's a good singer. But he, he projects, I will say that. Mm. Uh, but neither one of them really played an instrument. I tried to play drums when I was in sixth grade, and... That went all right. It didn't go great, but <laughs> I still sometimes think I can play drums. So we've got a little kit set up at our house that our kids will go bang on, and I'll go down and, and try to play beats. And unless it's just like, like mm. I just lose yeah. after that. As soon as there's <laughs> syncopation, it's like it's over and done with. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's there's nothing like crazy in our family that was true, tried and true. We are a musical family or anything. Yeah. I grew up playing a ton of sports. And mm -hmm. so um, it was around that time that I was still even like going between golf and baseball and basketball and then the guitar was getting picked up. And so, yeah, it just slowly started pivoting. I still play a ton of sports and love sports, but the dial started shifting more and more towards music from sports. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I have this theory because... Well, I mean, we're all very much in the parenting world right now and the raising kids things. And all involved, we talked earlier about sports. Um, we've all been doing the sports thing with our kids. Yep. And, you know, it, there's a lot of pressure right now for kids. Like there's this idea that if they are going to be successful at a higher level, they have to start right out of the womb and do all of the travel teams and all of the private lessons and all of the everything or they are just starting behind the curve. But here, you picked up the guitar at 15, and God had plans for that, mm. and he fulfilled those plans. And, and I've had this thought that I've, I've tried to hold on to so that the pressure of pushing our kids and, like, totally disrupting our lives to get ahead of the game doesn't, you know, overtake us. But this, you know, this thought that, okay, surely, God, if, like, your plan is for them to be successful in sports, even if we don't do all all of the things, you will still give them what they need to get there. And so I love that you started guitar at 15 and he brought you to this place because it is just like reassurance to me that God can still do what he wants to do, regardless of whether you look like you're going to be the next big thing or not, you know? Yeah. So true. So true. I love that. Yeah. I mean, you still see, and it's funny because sports, we often think about with kids starting at a young age but now and I don't know when it started I don't know if it was from the movie but like School of Rock which is a super cool thing but I was listening to this this podcast from a guitar player and he's I think he's got teenage kids or something but he was saying how we've kind of turned music in some ways into athletics where you've got this like pressure that we're putting on kids real young to mm -hmm. perform mm -hmm. and I don't know that it's always beneficial. Like, I think that there's something to, and I'm not an expert in all of these things, but I think about, like, for myself, even playing sports growing up, I was never, like, a one sport, I'm only doing this. Like, even if I didn't play for a team, I played street hockey outside all the time, and we played. Soccer was not my thing, but I would play soccer in the schoolyard because that's what my buddies were doing, and, like, loved playing baseball and basketball. But all of, so, I mean, there's something to be said to just, like, getting out and playing and not feeling the weight and the pressure that I have to perform when I'm eight, nine, 10 years old, whatever that is. I've heard multiple pro athletes from many sports talk about, you know, being interviewed or something. And they, they say, I played 
every sport in its season. So I played baseball. I played, I mean, they're a professional hockey player now. They're a professional football player. But they said, but I played all the other sports and I didn't specialize until very late in high school. Yep. Uh, and they said, it helps me. And I recommend that to all, you know, I'm a hockey player, but I played soccer and it helped my footwork. I played baseball, it helped my hand eye coordination. Or, you know, football player, every other sport is given the same example. And I like that's what we've done with, with our kids. Um, because, I mean, as a, even as a parent, we were talking about being a taxi service before we came on for your kids when it's sports season. Like, I don't want to go to baseball 10 months out of the year. Just as, you know, I'm, I would get tired of it. Yeah. And, and, I mean, I think the kids get burnt out a lot too. Uh, but, I mean, we've always done that with our kids. Let's play football. Let's play baseball. Let's play basketball. And, you know, if he want, I mean, we didn't force them into anything, but – uh, yeah, it's it may be right for some people, but I think the diversity helps because if if baseball is my number one sport, well, these other sports will help muscles and stuff, you know, that are going to translate into baseball. But go play something else, catch a break. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's I coming agree. from you know guys that are the best in the world at what they're doing, and I mean that's take advice of the people that have made it to the top. That's what I say. They know. They, they know. know. Yeah. And, you see, and you see a number of, of kids that are, you know, and even in high school that are still trying to determine, like, what's that sport going to be? Um, and you'll have kids that are being recruited at, to Division One schools that are still trying to decide, like, which which is yeah. it going to be, you know? Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think that we put a lot more pressure than is needed on that. And I think it's I think it's wise. And we're we're going to try out flag football in the fall. Uh, we already decided that we're going to do that. And it'll be the first time. And. Don't know. I don't know the first thing. I've not. I never played. That wasn't a thing growing up. Yeah. Flag football yeah. didn't no. exist. So, no. so nope. I don't. I don't know the rules. Tackle so or two hand touch. Yeah. What, what yeah. are we yeah. playing? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what we're getting into. And you know, I don't know if packs will be any good. But I don't care. Like I just wanted right. to go have fun. Yeah. Like I really just don't care. Let's just do something different. We haven't done it before. Let's just go have fun and let's just see what happens. Yeah. Even band. My son is going into eighth grade. Started band in sixth grade. I thought he was going to play the drums. He had a drum set at home. He's all even today. He's always beating on stuff. And he had a choice of drums or trombone. He picked trombone. I was like, well, I would have lost every <laughs> nickel I bet on that deal. But he played trombone for a year and a half. And then this past December, they had no tuba players in the middle school band. So they took, they had a, a several, I don't know how many, several trombone players. So they said, we want one of you to switch. And three people got invited, and he to try it. And he, they they tried to make some notes on the trom on the tuba, and he made a couple notes. And they're like, "It's yours if you want it." He said, "Yeah, I'll switch." So I mean, he's now playing tuba, and he's playing bass guitar downstairs in the, cool. for the our youth oh, that's department. Awesome. So, that's really cool. But I, I mean, even for like, no pressure from our end. It's just they play. I, I'm happy that he's playing sports, being musical, doing all this kind of – like being diverse, right? Mm. Uh, but, I mean, he's doing stuff I don't know that I could do, switching an instrument like that. when It may be easier now that he's at the beginning. I don't know. But, I mean, it's good for him to get that wide variety of experience right? Yeah. through sports, through music, through everything. Do you think he can bring the tuba into the youth band? Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I mean, if he's playing bass guitar, like you just have it sit there. Yeah. Pull it up. Yeah. So the thing of... I like about the tuba as a parent, the school provides it. If you're playing uh, another instrument, you got to bring mm-hmm. your own. But the school Carded provides the forth, tuba. But yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he doesn't. He doesn't even have to bring it home to practice. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's. Uh, that's funny. So we have. I don't know if this is common everywhere or not, but. In Nashville, the greater Nashville area, you can rent musical instruments for your kids in school. And so you pay a monthly fee and, you know, it's you end up owning it if you keep it long enough. But if they switch instruments or something like that, I'm not buying a trombone and then I have to buy a tuba. I mean, I paid my little fee every month and all right, we can cancel that one as long as you remember to cancel it. You know? mm. But yeah. that is where we're at right now. My oldest son, he played clarinet this past year in the band, and he's not going to go back and play clarinet again. But we've had the clarinet sitting in our mudroom for two months' worth of payments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's at a music store that's on the other side of town, and we just don't get over there. Yeah. And then we're trying to find time to do it. But so now we have 
the clarinet that is not being used, but <laughs> every fifth of the month, I'm like, we got to turn the clarinet back in. <laughs> yeah. We thought he, we thought we were close to owning the trombone. We thought, well, we only have two or three payments left. We'll make it. And then we looked up our account. We still had a year or 13 months. We're like, no, I'll take that back. We're, yeah. We don't need it. That yeah. No, but that, I mean, I, that's a cool program. I don't know who came that up is with cool. that. That's, it's that great if you use it. We bought our clarinet, yeah. and it is sitting in a closet, not being played. So, if anybody out there wants to buy a clarinet, we can hook you up. Mailroom at gpstheguide.com. Yes. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> so, my daughter played clarinet all through high school and stuff. She's going to college uh, here in just a month or so, and she had an opportunity. I mean, I guess everybody has an opportunity to be in the marching band at UT. She she decided not to. She's just doing concert band, but I was like, ah, go. I mean, we talked to like we went on a tour and we talked to the the band department. And we I talked to one of the drum majors and stuff that's in the band, and like they are Division One athletes at that level. Mm-hmm. It is crazy all the stuff they do that we don't probably need to get into in this episode. But I mean, it, they are Division One athletes with their travel schedule, their practice schedule, all the I mean, they get graded every single week just to keep mm. their spot and keep their position. And if, I mean, you can be marching this week and out next week, and right. they learn four or five different shows in one season. And I mean, it's crazy, mm. crazy, but good times. Mm-hmm. Has nothing to do with Sean, but uh, right. I was, <laughs> I was wanting to play football at the University of Michigan, but marching band would have also been cool. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they get to travel too. Like the, that's true. There's yeah. a lot of cool stuff. Speaking of travel, I, I was I was wanting to, to ask. So, so what what's travel life look like? So you, you know, you talk about with your story. By the time you meet the guys at Sidewalk Profits, you know you're already married. Uh, any kids yet? At that? No okay. Kids yet. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, wh- I mean, what does life actually look like? I mean, just even being married, mm-hmm. I feel like. I mean, what kind of what kind of strain does that put yeah. on that relationship? Yeah. So we started out. Uh, I was in the van for four years. So the first two years, we were traveling by a 15 passenger van with a trailer on the back. Uh, so as you can expect with, depending on who was out that for that uh, run, we'd either have five or seven dudes in the car, in this van. And, you know, it's about what you expect with five to seven dudes in a <laughs> 15 passenger van. It's not glamorous. There's yeah. the... And it's long, tra- I mean, you talked about going from Nashville to South Dakota. I mean, it's... Yeah, exactly. There was, there was a couple nights that I kind of wondered, I don't know if I'm gonna make it through tonight. <laughs> There's this one drive that we were going from going from uh ohio to georgia and it was snowy and all that and we i mean we're trying to sleep in the van and you're you've got semis and some of the other buses from the tour they're just kicking up slush and everything on the side and like this is it's probably the end right here i don't think we're gonna make it i think we're going to macon georgia and i was like macon georgia is never gonna see us we're not gonna get there um but you would have to be we would have to have phone calls like from me to you you know think about like you're in a 15 passenger van and we had it somewhat modified so that you had captain's chairs in the front the middle and then I think there was one more row nope I take that back it was uh no there was yeah there's three rows of captain's chairs and then there was a bench in the back and so when you'd have a conversation with your spouse like I'm talking to my wife and like our drummer who I love is like right here I'm like (laughs) Hey, can we can we talk later? Like, it's, <laughs> like there's no there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. And then we this is the ultimate glamour right here. If you want to think of glamour on on the road, so when we were on the Winter Jam tour, we you know we'd be at these arenas all day, but then it'd be time to to roll, and all the buses are driving at night. Well, for us, we would sometimes leave at night if we had to, but if we could sleep for four or five hours, we would do that and then get up in the morning and go. Well what we would get is the hotel rooms that the bus drivers were in all day. Like we would get their keys when they'd get back to the venue, and then we would go to the rooms for those bus drivers. So it was like, it was kind of like, you'd, you know, you'd pick a card mm-hmm. as if like a magician's about to do a trick. You'd pick a hotel key card that had a number on it, and you started to learn the tendencies of different bus drivers. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Like, one dude always would order Asian food. Like, he always had some sort of Asian food. One guy would 
make the bed, which if there's two beds, you really hope that one of them is disheveled and the yes. other one yes. is still made. Yeah, for When sure. they're both made, you're like, <laughs> I don't know which one I'm supposed to lay in. <laughs> and so we, we would crash there and then we'd wake up, depending on how far the drive was, we would try to get there around lunchtime and set up merch and that kind of thing. And the second, or the second set of two years, so the, the third and fourth years that I was in the band, we were in a bus and that was like a game changer for sure. Because we would roll into bus call and on a Wednesday night typically and then drive overnight. So we'd be sleeping in the bunks and everything. And then we get back on Monday morning. And so um, that you could actually find a little bit of privacy if you needed to. But also you're not quite as terrified. Like we're gonna mm. we're gonna die in this van because it's us who are driving the van after we just played a show <laughs> and did all the stuff. We had somebody that was in theory sleeping all day or maybe just eating Chinese food, yeah, I don't exactly. know, whatever they were doing. <laughs> Making their bed in the hotel Exactly. Rooms. So it was, I mean, it was tough for sure on, um, like, thankfully my wife is awesome, and, and but still, I mean, like, you're gone that much. And we were playing probably 160 to 180 shows a year or something like that. And so you're gone pretty much every week from Wednesday night until Monday morning, and then you're home for a couple of days. So it was, it was definitely difficult, but... Uh, I mean, it's one of those experiences that, like, I look at right now in my phase of life with three kids, and I'm like, nope, couldn't do it. Mm. <laughs> and there's a lot of guys that are out there that are doing it that love it. But I was like, I just knew I couldn't be the dad I wanted to be and then be gone that much. Yeah. Yeah. Just a husband and wife, that's yeah. that's a lot of time. And if your spouse works, like, you come home on Monday, well, they're going to work. And then, it, right. yeah, that's crazy tough, crazy tough. Uh, so you're not in music now. You You've moved on to the professional world, but do you still do anything in music or you still have that pull? I definitely still have the pull. I definitely still try to play as much as I can. Um, a buddy of mine that I grew up with, he's a worship leader at a church in Michigan. During the pandemic, as everybody was looking for things to do, we just decided we were going to start doing Zoom co-writes. So we wrote in 2020, 2021, about nine or ten songs. And then came in and record, recorded those last year. So we, it's funny, we were actually, it was during the upward season. And so I've got these photos looking through my phone of us in the studio. And then it's like upward basketball games. And then in the studio and then upward basketball <laughs> games. So, uh, but yeah, we, we started this thing called the Still Worship Collective, which is the intention behind it is to try to be more than just he and I, but to make it a little bit more about elevating the songs of the local church. So right now, there's a lot of great worship music out there for sure. And so there's it may, there's maybe not a reason for us to, you know, be just to have another worship band out there. Not to say it's not wrong or anything like that, but just there's a lot of stuff that's already out there. But it kind of feels like right now that, and for him being at a smaller church in Michigan, that if he feels like God has this gift that God placed on him to write music for the church, that if he wants it to be able to reach more than just his local congregation, that he either needs to get up and leave and go to Bethel, or he needs to come to Nashville, or he needs to go to Elevation in North Carolina, wherever, one of these mega churches, because it seems like a lot of worship leaders are coming out of those specific mega churches, or you got to come to Nashville and meet Sidewalk Prophets through a bass player at a church you're going to. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, so we were just like, what if we could create some sort of platform where it's there's local churches that have songwriters, that have worship leaders in their church that are writing, but also feel called to be at the church that they're at. Like They feel like this congregation is specifically, God has placed them in that specific place. Mm. And so if there's a platform where they can be at their church, but then also have the ability to share the music that God's putting on their heart, maybe this could be something like that. So... That's how we started it with that intention. Right now, it's it's him and I. We've got a, there's another worship leader up in Michigan that is uh, contributing some songs to it. So we're actually planning to go back in the studio in September and do some more songs as well. But it's kind of in the proof of concept phase where we're just trying to showcase this is what this could be like, so that then we can hopefully earn the right to invite other people to be a part of it. That's cool. That's very cool. I feel like I am. Uh... I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm just a moderator at this musicians' table because we have a couple guitar players and 
I don't know if you guys play other instruments or not. Jennifer is a great singer, Ugh. vocalist. Mediocre. What, what, I mean, I don't know what... Is, oh, is singer appropriate or vocalist? Or are they interchangeable? I don't know. They're interchangeable. Uh, interchangeable. All right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there you go. I feel comfortable using either one. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, great vocalist. And then you have me. I can play the radio. I mean, <laughs> you know, I can... That's, that's it. That's all I got. Can't sing. I can't sing well, I should say. But yeah. We all have different... Gifts and Different abilities. Gifts, we do. And yeah. the Lord does it for a reason. Yeah, there, there we go. So mm-hmm. Just had to throw that out there. Again, not related to anything else we're talking about. But you know. so, so, what? So, what does a Zoom songwriter session look like? I, I would say that the majority of people probably have never experienced that. That is a great or songwriting question. experience in general. I, I would guess. But well, yeah, that, there would be some that have experienced that. I think Zoom has probably definitely got the uh, the table cornered there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what other people's looks like, oh. <laughs> but this, so the friend of mine, he was the best man in my wedding. I was the best man in his wedding. So usually it's like 30 or 45 minutes of us just catching up and talking about life or talking about silly stuff that mm. doesn't really matter, but getting it all, getting all that out. And then it's usually a conversation about either what God's placed on our heart at that week or whatever, something that we're either going through or we heard in a sermon on Sunday or anything like that. We'll start talking about that uh, and start getting some ideas. Usually there's some sort of scripture verse or a couple of verses that'll pop up to the surface of like, oh, yeah, I read this, and this is kind of this the feeling I had from this or whatever that looks like. Um, and then we'll just start playing. The challenging part about Zoom is that there's a delay, right? So mm. there's a lag. And so he might be playing, and I'll, like, go to – I kind of riff off of him what he's playing, and it sounds great to me. But to him, it <laughs> sounds, sounds like I'm yeah. like not quite a beat or like a beat yeah. and a half behind whatever yep. the heck he's doing. So you have to get <laughs> used to that. Um, also, you have to factor in the background because you're on Zoom, and our our uh, computer where it's set up is a room that often gets taken over by art projects of our kids. Mm. And so it's like... Do I blur? Do I not blur? If I blur, because <laughs> if you blur, like the funny thing about Zoom, when you blur it and you're playing guitar, is like the guitar disappears because it doesn't sense the heat of the camera, uh, whatever that, I don't know, however they do the blurring okay. thing. Got it. But it'll get your body and then like the guitar body, but then the neck disappears, but then your hand shows up over here. <laughs> and so there's just kind of this like floating hand. It's, it's interesting. That's mm. fun. You, you said y'all come together and you talk and you talk about like what the Lord has, you know, been doing in your life or putting on your heart and scripture and things like that. And then you start playing. So how do you like you do the melody first and then you add in lyrics or do you have lyrics that then you're trying to create a melody for or does it just depend on like is it just an organic process and it depends, you know, from song to song how it comes mm-hmm. about? Yeah, that's a great question. It- it usually depends. It's not a consistent thing. A lot of times he or I will come with some sort of musical idea as well that will at least get that piece flowing. But sometimes it's, oh, this is a great line. Let's figure out a melody that's going to fit over this progression. Or every once in a while, usually it's not, I guess the two of us at least, we don't oftentimes come with just a melody and then we're trying to shape it around everything else. A lot of times it's either there's some sort of progression or, guitar riff or something like that and then we'll have lyrics and then it's trying to figure out how to get the melody to fit sometimes we'll have a progression and then we'll come up with the melody and then it's okay now we got to figure out how to get these lyrics to fit and that kind of thing and we'll take liberty i think everybody takes some Mm. liberties on like grammar and things like that you are allowed to in a song Mm -hmm. that's the only time it's the only time the only time former (laughs) teacher here the only time but in a song is okay we try it i mean it's funny because we'll sit there and be like we're like stretching it right here, a little <laughs> bit. like the meaning. And when you think about like poetry or whatever, and you have stanzas, and sometimes it's like, okay, well, this line needs to somewhat make sense, but if we can add the first word of the next line, then it makes a whole lot more sense. And like just trying to twist things to get it to fit and, and work, like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. But God puts it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one real quick story is, um, and I I think there's like a lot probably better ways to do this now, but so um, one of my 
good friends who um, helped get me started in music. Um, he was big into songwriting, and so one of the big things he used to always talk about is that you know those ideas would come in random times. You know, he could be in the middle of a drive, he could be in the middle of a run. It could just it just you never know where you're gonna be, but you don't want to lose it. Like you're like, oh man, this is a this is really cool. I like this melody line, or you know, I, I just don't want to lose this thought. You know, because by the time you get to your songwriting session, like you might have forgotten half of what you were trying to remember. And so um, he used to, the technology, what he could do and what was available was calling and leaving yourself a voicemail. So he would call himself and leave voicemails, singing whatever he thought was going to be the next cool chorus or whatever, talking about whatever like inspiration he had for the song. And he would just go back and listen to that. And so like, I was just curious, like what, like what are those things today? Like what are those like little like tips and tricks that you use now? I'm pulling up my phone. I, don't, you, I guess you can't see me on a podcast, but if you're watching on YouTube, yeah, go over you can. to the YouTube channel. Yes, yes, they can see you there. Okay, voice memos. This might yes. need to be edited because Mommy's I don't actually know what's going to come up. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. So it's our dog in the background <laughs> who's howling because I'm on the other side of our little gate, but. That's exactly what I do. I just open my phone, start a voice memo, and start playing something. And then we'll see what comes out. Like, this may never become anything other than just a voice memo, but if there's something that sticks out a little right. bit, I might as well just record it. But, yeah, combination of voice memos and then notes on my phone. Yeah. So. World exclusive. Sean Tomzak cool. original <laughs> right there. Right. That's cool. We are making things happen. We're going to talk, we're going to shift gears. Uh, you, we've talked about family a lot. You leave Sidewalk Profits. Are, do you leave because of family? Like, was your, did you have kids yet or were kids yeah, on my, the way? my oldest was two. And I tell this story that we, uh, I would leave, it didn't matter if I was leaving for 10 minutes to go to the grocery store or for 10 days, he'd have the same reaction of just like, bawling weeping and i was i would drive to bus call and be like what what am i doing is this the right call is this what i should be doing and so he turned to in august of what was that 20 nope 2013 and i think it was october when i told the guys i was like i don't think i'm gonna make it through the end of this year so the my lair my very last show was december 31st of 2013 mm-hmm. which was kind of like a nice Oh, it's the end of the year. We're mm-hmm. gonna like flip the year over and that kind of thing. So and it was in Nashville, so that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that made that travel home pretty easy, right? Mm-hmm. There. Yeah, it was shortest drive. Yeah, <laughs> you you started a family, uh, and then you and your wife are pregnant with your second child, Lucy, um, and, and had some tragedy. Can can you tell that story? I will try to. Uh, mm-hmm. You're yeah. you're um, totally fine. Totally. God fine. is so gonna use this. Mm. She was due in February of 2014, and my wife went into labor in January, January 28th, and she was born, stillborn. So, R- really, words can't even describe the emotions and the feelings of that. But today, how has God kind of um, brought some peace or comfort, or what has God done for your family that kind of? supersedes all the the heartache yeah that's a great question um you know there's a lot <clears throat> there's a lot excuse me i gotta stop doing that because yeah. it's gonna be these really loud pops <laughs> um, there's a lot in scripture about suffering and i think there's a component to going through hard stuff that is where we often uh where the metal's kind of refined, right? And so I think in those moments you realize just how close God is to us. Yeah, since then, I mean, we have two other kids since then, which never really replaces that, but it's kind of a strange feeling because a lot of times, like when you lose somebody that you spent life with, you have all these memories, but it's weird to lose somebody that, like, you don't have memories with. And so all of, I think all the, all the memories that you have, they're not really memories. It's more like aspirational things that you hope for 
mm-hmm. and then you don't have that. And so it's this very odd, like, balance of how do you navigate these things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, in that time, I think between community and just God showing up in so many unique ways that we wouldn't, couldn't have even anticipated. What's crazy is, so that was about a month. Yeah, it was about a month after my last show. Had I not left the band, there's a hot, so this may or may not have, this is completely hypothetical, but we were supposed to do a Christian music cruise that specific week. I was probably not going to go on, but because she was due in February, it was like, well, I could go on this and like still make it time and home or make it home in time and that kind of mm. thing. But that was the exact week when she was born. And I was like, it's one of those things of like all of these little pieces and, and whatnot that come together that lead up to those moments. Um, and, like, if I wouldn't have left the band, would I have been gone? Would my wife have been by herself? Like, all of that. Yeah. Mm. yeah, all the doors and windows that God opens and closes for events like that that we could never plan, even if we knew, you know, this event, whatever, you know, changing jobs or something that's not a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Like, how God navigates us to get to those specific points in our lives that are big points for us, whatever it happens to be. Right. Like, we couldn't even plan for that in our own mm. minds and stuff. Um, MichelleTomzak.com. Uh, uh, Sean's wife, Michelle, did write a, a great blog entry about this where you can um, hear her heart a little bit in this and, and kind of hear a little bit more of the story. Um, but, uh, I mean, Sean, that I, very tough. And, and we talked about sharing this before. Uh, we started recording, but but thanks for sharing just that little piece. And um, like Jennifer said, God, you know, God's going to use this to touch others and help someone else who may be going through the same kind of thing. It's crazy, actually, how how much he's already done that, like through Michelle's blog and um, different things. Her blog now, it's if you go there now, there might be a lot of fashion-oriented content because she's also does like a whole bunch of fashion stuff and all these things. <laughs> but you can still find all the, all those articles that she's written over, over the years, kind of talking about each birthday and everything like that. But yeah, it's crazy some of the people that God's put in our lives that have gone through very similar things, and we've had a chance to just encourage them and help speak into their lives as best we can and stuff like that. I was um, reading some of her blog posts and I took a screenshot. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Screen. I was going to say screenshotted, but I was like, I know that's not, that's not a thing. A former teacher. I, I know. Uh, I know. Not like that. Well, you okay. know, language is always evolving and new words make it in the dictionary all the time. So maybe we should just coin screenshotted. I got, I got a text message about a new word the other day, but we'll go, we'll talk about that later. Go ahead. But, um, one thing that I read that really stood out to me, and is it okay if I, it's just a short paragraph. Is mm-hmm. it okay yeah. if I read it? Okay. So um, she was writing about how people ask what helped her get through that time. And one of the things she said was each other. And she said, I just can't describe how strong and steady my husband is. This guy just constantly amazes me. In my toughest times, he has been right by my side, comforting me and encouraging me reminding me of truth. His sensitivity to people and feelings is incredible. We definitely had moments of crying together, praying together, just being there with and for one another. He is clearly grieving too and missing Lucy like crazy, but he always steps up and is there for me when I need him. And the thing that stood out to me the most was the thought that you probably didn't feel very strong or steady. And oftentimes probably still don't feel very strong or steady. And to me, that was just such a beautiful picture of God and his promise that he is strength in our weakness. And that when we are at our weakest and our most vulnerable, that is when he is strong in us and through us. And so I just, I thought that was beautiful and just, I had to share that. Thanks. I would say that like, you know, it pales, but, you know, we had, we've had one miscarriage along mm. the way. And he, I mean, 
you know, it even, doesn't pay off. It's, well, I just, yeah. I, I just mean like, you know, like it's still, you know, they're, they're all tragic in different ways. But like what I was amazed at was just like the amount of other people, like, you know, people that I've known, um, and they were like, oh yeah, like that was, like that was me. I'm like, I'm like, what, really? Like, mm. we've never talked about this before. I mean, it just like, like it was yeah. almost like, like my world got a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, there, those situations are just not easy to walk through, but then like they become a little bit easier when you're walking through them with other people. And then, like I said, I just was just so shocked. I was just like, wow, I'm like this touches like so many yeah. people. Mm-hmm. You're just like, it's just, it's crazy. My mind was just blown. Um, and, but I think that it's difficult, but it's important to share because like, how else do we know what we're going through? How else do like other people know? Like there's just, you don't know. Like there was, I, I mean, I just lost count after a while at how many people were like, you know, relaying stories. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, like, like when, like I've known you, like, yeah. I mean, like how in the world did these totally. things happen? Like, yeah. and we've never talked about this before. It's just, it's just crazy. But like, yeah. I think there's some weird part of us that feels like we have to keep the hard things hidden. Mm. I don't know why, but I think that there is. Like, we have to, oh, I, have to, I have to bottle that up. Like, I can't share that. Like, no mm-hmm. way. Well, I mean, we talked about it uh, yesterday in church of we don't want anyone, we don't even want God to see our brokenness and, and our weakness, mm-hmm. and he knows everything about us. But, I mean, mm-hmm. if we don't want God to know, we for sure don't want, I don't want Jennifer to know. I don't want Andrew right. or Sean to know mm-hmm. that I'm struggling with whatever and yeah. broken and and sometimes it's just hard to talk about it. Like I found I have to be very intentional and make sure I talk to my husband about hard things first because sometimes after I've done it, I think I don't want to have to do this again. Mm-hmm. And if I've talked to someone else about it first and I don't want to have to do it again, well, you know, that's not good for my marriage. So, I, <laughs> But it just takes so much out of you, yeah. you know, sometimes and you're like, man, do I really want to have to do that? Mm-hmm all over again, talking to somebody else about it. And I'm sure there's probably, like, the more we do it, the more release we get from it. You know, the lighter the burden gets because other people are carrying us in prayer. Mm -hmm. But it's just that thought of, like, it's too hard. It's too hard to, like, have to tell one more person about this and, you know, what you're going through. Well, I just just wanted to, um, you know, I think that for me— you know, when I look at, at, at your story a little bit, um, I, I love from this eagle's eye view, being able to see like God directing steps, mm-hmm. you know, and I think you can so you can just clearly see like almost God speaking through your two-year-old son to like bring you into the situation that you needed to be in. Like you needed to be there. Yeah. Like as difficult and tragic as it is, like you would not have wanted to do it isolated. And so like the beauty of you being there is the beauty of seeing God like directing those steps months ahead of time like going ahead and preparing the way. And like I said, it doesn't make it, you know, it doesn't make it easy, but I just love that our God is, is totally capable of directing steps and using, using a two-year-old to help to pierce our hearts. Cause it's hard, man. Like I can, I can't, I can't imagine, like I, I never, I was never on a tour like that. Like my, my limited touring, you know, has been within my own vehicles, you know, and just, and just small like youth camps and things like that, which would have been a blast in my life. But I can't imagine stepping back from kind of the pinnacle of, of the music industry and being like, okay, I'm just going to leave that behind. Like, you know, because that's so few people get to even experience it. Um, I just, I imagine that that pull was hard and I imagine that was a difficult decision. Uh, and so just to see that God used those things to direct you where you needed to be. Um, I don't know that's, like I said, it's just kind of cool to, to step back and see that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, let's, Go just a little deeper real quick. So that was, I mean, your career was being in Sidewalk Profits. How was that transition back to a regular life? Mm-hmm. Did you have a job lined up or was, I mean, what did your wife work? What was that like? She, yeah, she worked, uh, she worked for a company called Genesco, which is here in Nashville. They own Journeys Shoes mm-hmm. and a couple other brands. But um, she was working there for a few years. And so I came off the road, but then with Lucy, like she went into what would have been her 12 weeks postpartum maternity leave. Um, but then she didn't end up going back. And so I ended up, there were two people that were on the record label that worked at the record label when I was there. And 
uh, one of them went off to start. So, so while I was on the road, I finished up because I was three years into my bachelor's degree before I moved to California to go to, a, to music school. And so uh, I always knew I wanted to finish my degree. And when we were on the, when I was on the road, especially when we were traveling by bus, I had a whole lot more downtime. So I was like, I'm just going to do this and just finish my degree online. And so I finished my degree in marketing. And so there was these two people that were at the label, one of which uh, he left and went and headed up a, a kind of a community artist engagement stuff at a nonprofit called Mocha Club. I don't know if you guys remember them or not, but they were like probably 10, 15 years ago. They were really popular on, on college campuses because mm. artists like Dave Barnes and Matt Wirtz and Drew Holcomb would get behind the cause and, and they'd get all these people sign up for like five bucks a month or whatever. It was the whole, like the cost of a cup of coffee, mm. you know, to support, uh, development projects in Africa. So he went there, um, and then he ended up hiring me to work on the artist engagement stuff for about a year. So I did that. And then I stayed in contact with this other woman. Um, her name's Lee Holt and she, was starting a marketing agency of her own after being at the label for a while. And so it was a lot of entertainment marketing, artist stuff, different things like that. And so I just kept kind of staying in contact with her, staying in contact with her. And then eventually she ended up hiring me. And so I worked there for three years or so and then shifted over and have worked at another marketing agency called Five by Five for the past five years. There's a lot of fives. And that's <laughs> <laughs> so you told me a, uh, a little bit about a cool program I and mean, we don't have to go deep into this, but what are you about to go do through, through your work? Yeah. So they started last year at our company. Uh, they started this thing where after working there for five years, you're eligible for a four week sabbatical. And so starting next week, I'm going to be on a four week sabbatical, which is, it's this weird tension of like I sabbatical. I want to, rest as much as I can. But then mm -hmm. I'm like, I got four weeks off. Like I got to maximize these four yeah. weeks. What am I going to mm -hmm. do? What are we going to do with the kids? How am I going to? And so I've got this pull of like, okay, I just need to probably sit and like decompress, enjoy this time, reflect, plan for things to come, read all of these things. But then also I'm like, but we got to go do like really fun stuff too, because I'm, how often am I going to, am I going to be off for four weeks in a right. row? Mm -hmm. So, but I'm super excited about that. That's, I mean, that's a super, super cool program that I'm going to institute Here. or be an advocate for. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have the authority to institute <laughs> it, but I'm going to be an advocate for that program. That's right? fun. Yeah. Phillips yeah. Insurance Agency, feel free to take that. Yeah, about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like that would be a disaster yeah. for us. F family business. They mm -hmm. might not come back. That's the hard part. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen Dad in six months. I know. Yeah. He's it's an extended sabbatical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, mom life, I'm sorry. You just um, never get a day don't. off. Yeah. And I quit teaching. I like I had all my kids before they did paid maternity leave mm. and metro schools now they do paid paternity leave I'm like yeah. i just that's okay the mm -hmm. lord will give me rest and renewal other ways yeah like coming on here and like hosting a podcast, on the podcast. Right. yes yes and then sometimes god directs you as a teacher wife to a, a non-public school and you don't get paid maternity leave anymore <laughs> so anyhow yes it's not, it's not, it's not always guarantees so mm -hmm. We, we live that non-paid maternity life. Yes. So. Yes. About to be living it again. That's yes. true. So how many, what, what's the countdown from today, from recording right now? What's the countdown? A due date is August 16th. And today is July the 10th. Right. And that would assume that, um, that we go full term, which my wife has not made it full term on any kid yet. So I feel like the chances are pretty slim. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Feel like this this would be number four. So we've got three. This would be this would be number four. So I don't know. I feel like I, I just need to be prepared for something prior to the sixteenth. Mm -hmm. Maybe a week prior, two weeks prior, somewhere in that ballpark. I mean, this is a kid centric moment. Today is my daughter's birthday. So. Aww, All right. Nice. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday. Yeah, Ashlyn. Happy birthday. Yeah, love you. That's super Aww. cool. That's is she right. an adult today? Uh, she is an adult. <gasps> wow. Yeah. That's a big one. Goes by fast. Yeah. Goes by fast. Yeah. She leaves the house in a month. So about mm -hmm. the time Andrew is not getting paid for uh, 
Exactly. You know, or summer, his and wife not is not getting paid, and not getting sleep. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'll be paying out the big bucks for her to go to school. Mm. Go to college. Yeah. Mm. But uh, we love it. It's all great. Uh, Sean, thanks for coming on, talking about a bunch of cool stuff. I know you have a bunch of other cool stories you could probably tell. But uh, thanks for sharing the the band life and and hard times living in a van with seven other guys. But uh, uh, thanks for sharing too about Lucy and uh, you know hard hard stories to tell. But I like Jennifer said, it's going to help other people and and touch others. So. We end every episode with a Bible verse. You all know that. Today we're going 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9. But he said to me, but Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So... If you have hard things in your life, we all have weakness in our lives. God's using that and uh, to help you and to glorify Him and help others as well. So, Amen. It may be hard, but you know, don't be ashamed. Mm. We're we're all got broken stuff. Yeah, that's it. A better story. I'm gonna be driving home and be like, I should have told that story. (laughs) That story was so much better. (laughs) Nah, they were good. Just tell Daniel you can phone in to another podcast recording. That's true. They're always wanting somebody to phone in. Yeah, this is great though. Thank you guys. Well, thanks for coming. Thank you. Been a a blast. Cool. Very cool. I'm, that's why I brought in the hired guns. To Whatever. You brought us because the regulars <laughs> have to work. That's true, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm, uh, p- partially, yes. But also, part, like, I already said, I didn't know music stuff. Like, I would just be, tell me cool band stories, but I couldn't go numbers and all that kind of stuff. I had no idea about mm-hmm. that stuff. You could learn. Maybe. You could, trust me. It's very, very simple. That's the beauty of it. But I don't play an instrument, so. Oh, well, now you could start. I mean, never, I did, it's never too late. I, I could pull it's that clarinet back out. I could hey. pull that clarinet back hey, exactly. out. I had you my heyday with you the clarinet. clarinet. I do. <laughs> I mean, your kids are probably come. Some of them they'll be in fourth grade before long. That uh, recorder. Oh yeah, we be have a recorder home. at home yeah. too. Yes. Yeah, It'll we do. Down. We do. And we have a keyboard. We've had a little piano mm. lesson action in our house, mm. but you know, you have to have time to learn an instrument. I mean, like. Are you learning a new instrument now with your kid life? And no, it just. Nope. And I pretty much play the same things on a guitar. Like I pick it up <laughs> and I'm like, oh, play this again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when am I going to learn something new? You need 30 minutes a day is what you need. I need yep. a four oh. week sabbatical. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> That's what I need. That's what you need. <laughs> yeah. That is what you need. I didn't think of another story. I oh. could share it. It might be somewhat more interesting. No, do it. Yeah. You can yes. edit it in or not. Tell it. Yeah, do it. So we were out in Winter Jam, and we were playing at the James Brown Arena in Augusta, Georgia, which is like a smallish kind of a, a, a what would that be? It's like a minor league hockey type size okay. arena. Municipal. Yeah, municipal arena type thing. And we get assigned. So when you go into Winter Jam, there's so many bands, right? And so like somebody assigns who goes into what dressing room. We are like the bottom of the totem pole, right? <laughs> and so... We get this dressing room, we walk in, and then there's a there's a brick wall that's kind of halfway that splits up the dressing room. And we see on the one side there's benches and whatnot, but then on the other side, there's there's basically like the toilets there, and there's nothing dividing it. But then there's a pipe that goes from basically one of the toilets to the other side of the brick wall. And so we're like, what is happening here? And so somebody flushes the toilet, and sure enough, like water comes out of that pipe on the other side of the brick wall. Oh, oh man. And so we, this was before YouTube was quite as big as it is now. It still had some following. Facebook was still the dominant social media platform. And we had a flip cam. I don't know if you guys remember. <laughs> yes, those. I had one. Okay, yep. Yes, left yep. my flip camera. And so one of the guys in the band does a flip cam like video of this this environment of which we're in with this pipe sticking out of the wall and water running out of it when you flush the (laughs) toilet and that kind of thing. Well, it gets picked up by the local news in Augusta because we posted it on Facebook. And so then there's this art, this news story that comes out on the local news about how the James Brown arena is falling apart. And this is tax dollars that are not being used to like fix up the arena and all. This is what the (laughs) artists that go to play there have to experience and all of these things. And so the tour manager comes to us and is like, 
you guys can't post any videos that would ever <laughs> call into question the quality of the venues that we're playing anymore. That's so hilarious. some investigative reporting that we oh, apparently no. were doing. Wow. Yeah. And Sidewalk Profits has never been back to a guest. <laughs> <laughs> did y'all go back? I think we did, actually. And was the pipe fixed? They got the other uh, dressing they room. They got upgraded. They got upgraded. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We moved up in the lineup a yeah. little bit. Yes. So we, yeah. we had a functioning bathroom. <laughs> oh, Life on the road. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny that you didn't know some of the artists going into it. So, yeah, but he still would have probably thrown you off. So I grew up loving like '90s Christian music, and um, but the bands at that point they were different. So some of the people, mm-hmm. you know, just got kind of like recycled and mm-hmm. you know circulated to different places, you know. Um, but like I just never like. Like newsboys, like with Michael Tate, like that was never like that's not newsboys to me. Like that's like that's new newsboys. Yeah, mm-hmm. they they need like a different name because like I think of like tr- like Peter Furler newsboys, you know, um, and like Michael Tate is DC Talk DC to me, Talk. you know. Yeah, so sure. it's just it's just it's almost like comical. Like I can just imagine like being in that mm-hmm. environment. Like I said, for me, it would have been a different spin. It would have been like, man, you should be with these other people. Like, what are y'all doing here? Mm-hmm. But to like not know them at all, I think I think it's funny. Um, oh yeah, yeah, know, we're sitting there and we're setting up cool. merch, and I had. Like who's which band is this that's sound checking? And our bass players like, it's Newsboys. Don't you recognize Michael Tate? And I'm like, oh, no, no I don't definitely know. not. I will now. Is. But now I know. But now I know all of those. Yeah. Those dudes, and I know the, more of the history of it. Like yeah. we did a tour with. You'll appreciate this. We did a Christmas tour with Audio Adrenaline. Okay. The lead singer of Audio Adrenaline was Kevin Max. Oh, okay. Yeah. New Audio Adrenaline. So then. new yes. Audio Adrenaline. Yeah. So yep. we've seen a lot of it. Oh yeah, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Who who is cool to tour with in terms of like just not? I mean, everyone's good, everyone's talented, but like who was actually like nice, cordial, like you know, helpful? Yeah, I mean, so many of those guys. I really did not have much experience touring with anybody that was high drama, okay. anything like that. We would do when we were on Winter Jam. They did Jam Church every Sunday morning, which was kind of fun, and so like the bands would rotate around to lead worship. So you'd get, like, Michael Tate would be singing with a guitar player from some other band Mm. and whatever, different stuff like that. So that was all kind of fun and cool. Um, I loved touring with Toby Mac because of the fact that Toby Mac's a big golfer, and I'm a big golfer. Ah. And so we connected real quick. And so when we were on the road, he'd text me and be like, hey, you want to play golf in the morning? And, of course, I always want to play golf in the morning. But especially with someone like Toby Mac, because you know you're not going to just play on, like, some little course over here. Uh-uh. Like, you're going to a nice Something course nice. if you're going to play with Toby <laughs> Mac. So that was always a ton of fun. And then, like, the Mercy Me guys were great. Um, I'm still really good. F- I don't know if you guys knew the band, 10th Avenue North. But yep. They are still good friends of mine. I live on the street with two of them. So mm. one of them we do – actually, with both of them, we do this workout thing every Wednesday morning. So still good friends with those guys and – uh, good friends with some of the guys from Cutlass still. Okay. I remember yep. that band. Oh, yeah. You'd, so, yeah. you'd be hard-pressed to name a band from, like, 90s, or early 2000s, Christian rock or Christian alternative that I don't know. Yeah, I so, love it. I, I, awesome. Yeah, I love that whole scene. So I was, that was my jam growing up. Yeah, that's awesome. It was fun. And, and now we know, uh, you know, how to get Toby Mac on this little nobody <laughs> podcast right there. Sean, Sean I Thompson. I just gave you the... There's your end, yeah. It starts with a round of golf. Well, thank everybody for being here. We yep. hope you enjoyed Sean and his story, part of his story. And uh, if you want to send him some fan mail, yeah, so we'll, we'll forward it to him. So send it to us. We'll forward it on. But, uh, you know, we love you. God loves you more. We'll see you next week. We hope you are enjoying GPS to God. Rate, review, and subscribe across every platform you use. Help us spread the word by telling your friends and family to watch, listen, and subscribe.